dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. I'm Bo York from Pass the Mic, the host of a different alternate earth where the producer is the host and the host is the producer. Nah, man, that's not how we're going to do because I don't know how to do all your levels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rusty. I forgot how to do the levels and the the mic volume and uh, uh, stuff, so. all right all right all right tyler burns ladies and gentlemen what's going on y'all greetings and god bless welcome to another episode of past the mic an exclusive episode because jamar is not here and me and Bo are in the same room looking at each other in the eyes <laughs> it's crazy it, it really does man it feels like we've crossed the multiverse to be able to make this moment happen and isn't that fitting because we're talking about the Oscar award-winning best animated film yes. of 2018, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, or I guess we should say more appropriately titled the extremely complicated Miles Morales origin story. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> yeah. That's your name for it. So I'm just throwing that out there. I'm teeing you up. Unnecessarily complicated uh, Miles Morales origin story. That's what story. you said. Yeah. Okay. Before we jump into this real quick, we need to acknowledge something, man. Like since since the multiverse is coming together and it just so happens to be coming together in Chicago in an Airbnb that's like right next to the train, like yes. you may hear the train <laughs> go by every once in a while. So just as a heads that's up. Okay, like we're in the city, man. Like this is how we're recording. So it's it's authentic, it's real, it's true. And so you guys know there's just we're on location. So exactly. And of course, spoiler warning, that goes without saying, but of course. We'll say let's it get anyway. into it. Okay, now this movie has been a phenomenon for many people. Everybody has who has seen it has come back almost universally positive. Even the toughest film critics, the harshest people would say, I hate Marvel movies, comic book films. And it's crazy because when I saw the initial announcement for Into the Spider-Verse and they talked about the multiverse angle, mm. I said, this is never going to work. Mm. <laughs> this is crazy. Why are we introducing another Spider-Man and it's not Peter, but it is Peter, and it no one's going to go see this film. Was that your expectation too? So I had the hardest time like processing this movie because I, I, you know, I will just put it out there. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, like a huge Spider-Man. You are, and I'm not. Like growing up, that '90s Spider-Man cartoon defined my high school experience. Like Mm -hmm. I loved that show. Peter Parker was like the the character, the superhero that I'm most attached to. And seeing him kind of grow up and and live his life, get married, like he he went on this journey of maturity that I was walking through in a similar capacity, at least for parts of it. And uh, and he was also he was the awkward kid, yet he was going out and saving the day. And so it really it resonated with me as a kid. Right. And so I'm I'm, I'm a huge Spider Man fan. I'm not man. I've just never been that big of a spider, and not a hater. I'm not a Spider Man hater, but the story just didn't connect to me in the same way. Now I. Even Miles Morales' story, comic story, which I think is great. Fantastic. I don't, I still didn't connect as tightly as with other characters. Interesting. Well, by the time that Miles Morales came to the show, so I mean, we should probably kind of like, all right, let, let's look at kind of the source material for where these yeah. characters come from. Uh, you know, so Peter Parker, I mean, if, if you've been living under a, I mean, you still know who Spider-Man is, even if you've been living under sure. a rock. Like, it's just, it's just the reality. It's too much part of the zeitgeist. Miles Morales. Top three superhero, right? Top three name superhero, Batman, Superman. Yeah, I think, Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man in terms of recognizing, like, especially that mask. It's yeah. so iconic. Yeah. And so you have to know you have to know Spider-Man. And they've had really good this is important because a lot of people are doing revisionist history right now, but they've had really good Spider-Man films. Oh yeah. Really I mean Look. top tier Spider-Man films. And I know you guys just want to throw Spider-Verse up to the top. I mean, we should save that. But you know, I'm just saying, where does this rank? <laughs> 
And I'm not saying it's not. I'm yeah. just saying y'all are y'all are dissing Spider-Man too hard. Spider-Man two was such. I, I can't even look at Spider-Man 2 critically because that hit me at such a place in my life. Like, like it, yes. it was this emotional experience yes. for me. I walked out of that movie and I was talking about it like it was this like almost religious-like experience. Like it, right. it hit me on a huge level. And that I can't like, train scene, bro. It's incredible. That train scene, my man. It is, is incredible. Unbelievable. What they do with him at the end of that scene. Yeah. It's like, yo, this city loves this man. There's a there's a special connection between Spider-Man and his neighborhood. Every single Spider-Man movie has tried to capture that moment, and I would argue that none of them have been able to. Except Spider-Verse. I don't think they've captured that moment in Spider-Verse. No, not that, yeah, not that particular moment, mm-hmm. but there is a moment, there's a scene in Spider-Verse that might be the best thing that was on film. All right, so Spider-Verse does focus on the character of Miles Morales. Okay, yes, yes. We have to get to the source material. I'm Most people know Peter Parker. I mean, you know Clark Kent is Superman. You know Bruce Wayne is Batman. You know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. But up until Into the Spider-Verse, I would argue that the average Joe on the street, if you ask them who Miles Morales was, they'd have no concept for who mm-hmm. he was. It's just, he was much, far, like, little, little known character. He was actually invented by Brian Michael Bendis, if I'm not yes, mistaken, as correct. part of the Ultimates universe. Now, this was, or the Ultimate universe was Marvel trying to kind of, uh, kind of inject some interest into their properties by retelling their heroes in a modern context. Yes. So, like for example, Peter Parker, who on in the comics he was like a photojournalist for the Daily Bugle. They made him a web developer. You know, like they, <laughs> right. they updated him a little bit. 2.0. Yeah. And actually, the the whole concept of Sam Jackson as Nicholas Fury. Yeah. Uh, the Nicholas Fury of the original comics is very different from Sam Jackson, mm-hmm. but the concept of him playing this character was from the Ultimates universe because they wanted to take this like super cool uh, spy character then they're like well who's the coolest guy that we could actually cast you know draw into this role and they literally drew Samuel L. Jackson on the page <laughs> right. it was it was the part like when when he was cast it was just perfect and three billion dollars later yeah seriously <laughs> right and and then a whole facelift and yeah that's a whole nother thing though. and the aging technology Ooh. and we just saw Captain Marvel so we'll, yeah we're not talking about that movie we're not but yeah that was yeah. just it was very it was interesting seeing him in that de-aging yes. sense. That was, I think, done really well. Yes. So. But anyway, so he was, he was like the ultimate universe existed to do exactly that, to modernize the characters, to also, um, you know, inject a lot more diversity in as well. The character of the Wasp specifically, uh, who was originally a white woman in the original comics mm-hmm. or the original version. In the ultimate version, she was Asian American, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh and also, as they kind of explored these different characters, they also gave them more age-appropriate uh, differences. So, mm. you know, after decades of telling the same stories, Peter Parker grew up, but Tony Stark stayed the same age, mm. and now everybody's all the same age, right? So when they retold it in The Ultimates, Peter's a kid again. And there's this story that occurs where Peter Parker, as a high school student, dies in the midst of this like you know pseudo apocalyptic event mm-hmm. and he's recognized like you know the mask comes off and they realize that spider-man this guy that like you know the the daily bugle was tearing apart and the city could never get behind but he saved the city tons of times was just a just a young boy hmm. and so he becomes like this like oh my gosh what did we do we killed this kid essentially right, right. and as the universe is processing that, all of a sudden, another Spider-Man comes flying through. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet again, you could tell this is a younger character and people start getting onto him. Like, like, how dare you? Like, who are you to wear Peter's costume? Don't you understand? He was Spider-Man. He died for us. He saved us. Who are you to do this? And that Spider-Man swings to the top of the building and 
pulls it off. And here you have at that time, we didn't know his background, this young African-American looking man that, you know, has kind of with the most innocent, like, yes, like I could still visualize that, that comic book panel of just like this distraught and almost like depression even yeah. in, in his eyes. And Miles is so likable, bro. And immediately likable. And so in his storyline, when you kind of figure out who he is and you, you find his backstory, he does not have the tragic backstory of his parents died and everything. I mean, like, you know, that, he doesn't have the standard comic book. Oh, your parents alive? No, you can't be a hero. Your parents right. got to die to be a hero. Yeah, there, there has to be some like deep tragedy that you have to experience or um, some toxic accident or right. waste nuclear explosion <laughs> or something. And I think it's just fascinating to see his relationship with his parents, which I think Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Verse like capitalized on very well. Big time. So it's interesting because his father's name is Jefferson Davis, which is unfortunate. Um, <laughs> so, who was it on Twitter? Somebody on Twitter, and I think they, they listen, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, it's a past the mic listener, so I'm, I'm sorry, man. He, he tweeted out like, like who, who, uh, who, who thought it was a brilliant idea to name uh, Miles' dad Jefferson Davis? And I tweeted back at him. I was pretty sure it was at you know Brian Michael Bendis. And he's like, he's like dude, why are you copying Brian on this? <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing, Bo? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's funny because it, it, either way, his name is Jefferson Davis. But if he takes his father's name, then he's Miles Davis. Right. <laughs> and it's like, this is a bad situation. Can we just change the name? Can right. we just go back? But there's a reason why in the comics, you know, the name is chosen and all that backstory. Um, but I think going into Spider-Verse, I felt like it was really the perfect time for a Miles Morales type character, an Afro-Latino teenager in the city of New York who's coming of age trying to figure this stuff out, but not a character who's bumbling, but a character who is in some ways bumbling, but who has this distinct cool factor, this distinct swag, this distinct personality (laughs) that the film plays up so well. And so I want to talk about the first scene. The first scene we get... The, the classic song that no one can get out of their head, Sunflower, dude, with Post Malone and Sway Lee. And so I thought that was fascinating to start because I said, oh, I'm hooked. There was so much joy. I saw it twice in the theaters. There was so much joy. There was a smile on my face. And then we get introduced to this really unique animation style. Yeah, that was groundbreaking. And that's honestly, that's the moment that you know that you're seeing something special. And also the moment you know if this doesn't win the Oscars... Right. Like something like there's already something terribly wrong in our society, but it's far worse than we could have possibly imagined. Yeah. <laughs> like like this is this is clearly groundbreaking stuff. And so when we when we track from those scenes, we see that he's walking through his local community. And as he walks through his local community, everyone knows him. And then there's this code switching that happens mm-hmm. where he speaks Spanish and he daps up a kid with a special handshake. And then he winks at a girl and it's like, and then he, then he slaps the top of um, the signpost with his art, like his custom art. Right. And then we see that his father's a police officer. And so the back and forth, and I have to talk about Shamik Moore um, as the one who is voicing and bringing Miles Morales to life. And then Brian Tyree Henry, dude, who is Paperboy in Atlanta. I did not realize that until this morning because the entire time I was like, I know this voice. And then when, earlier we were talking about it today. I pulled up his IMDb page and I was like, oh, bro. Fantastic. Brilliant. Incredible. And all right. So the Oscars really need to have like voice actor awards because like this was incredible. Everyone on this movie was incredible in voice acting. Like everyone was believable. It felt like they were, their voices perfectly matched. 
the inflections, the tone, and then the connection between Shamik and Brian yeah. as father and son. Yes. Was through the roof. They need to have some sort of acknowledgement and recognition. It's incredible. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was great. The the chemistry you got from the voice, from the way that it was drawn, everything was perfect. Um, and I like the fact that you know he doesn't have that standard tragedy as background. At least the the classic tragedy. There obviously is tragedy, which the movie yes. explores. Yes. So I, I got to ask you this: going into this movie, and I really do want to focus mostly on Miles here up front, and sure. then we'll focus on all the other characters, which is where I get in my problem with the way they set up this movie. Really? <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. We'll talk about it in a second. I may agree with you. I may not. Uh, so with. Did you know enough about his backstory to know that his uncle was the Prowler? No, I did not. So really? I remember I had forgotten that that was the angle, but I early on in the film, when he leaped over the fence in the subway station, I was like, he's the Prowler. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was just like a, a natural, like it just clicked for me. I was like, oh yeah, he's, he's probably Prowler. <laughs> um, like there was just something about that was like... This dude is bad, like for bad for real. Like right. something's happening here. And so I didn't that was kind of something that it was it was a nice little surprise going into the film that I'd forgotten. Cause I didn't read up on any of the comics. I didn't go back and refresh myself on it. Even after I heard, oh, Spider-Verse is hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, it's amazing. I wanted to come in and just experience it. And I knew there had been a multiverse comic, but I was like, I'm not gonna go read it. Sure. I'm not gonna go dive into it. I'm just going to let Miles be Miles and I'm just going to experience it as everyone else is experiencing it. I think the way that they set up their relationship too, this is, and this is, you know, what we talk about a lot on Pastor Mike, which is the range of blackness. Hmm. There's such a range of blackness within because he has a different relationship with his father than he does with his uncle. And that's a common black father to black son dynamic that there is a perception even in my own family, that my uncles are different than my father. Right. And and my uncles, there's an uncle on my mom's side who's actually a police officer and he's a he's trained like SWAT teams for like <laughs> 20 years. It's like, it's crazy. And so he's he's like deeply embedded in that system. And so we have some very lively animated conversations about police brutality and rights and civil rights. And he's done um, Know Your Rights training at our church for our young people and all kinds of things. But his perception, our perception of him is very much like, like Miles's perception of his uncle. Huh. Like, it's like, that's, uh, he's the cool uncle. And there's like this connection. And so yeah. it's like the range of blackness that I resonated with immediately because we would go over to his house and we would just sit and talk. And me and my brother, and that's what my brother does now. Like, there's an interaction between them that's different and unique from any other relationship. And it's almost like an embarrassment of riches when you sit down and think about it because most people don't have most young black men don't have two black role models as men who they could look to and be like, man, these are dudes I know. And they could, I could just sit down and talk with them about anything from my future to police brutality, to women, to everything. And so it was when I saw that, I was like, Oh, this is like, that's, that's uncle junior. Like that's him. Like that's, <laughs> I know that's exactly what it is. So seeing that they, they dialed into that dynamic yeah. was a unique perspective. Cause I, and sometimes people don't, pick up on that they'll just say oh it was a great relationship i'm like no that's real life that's yeah. southern black dad to black uncle so this is kind of interesting the original version of the prowler like in the classic version of the prowler was something of he started out as a villain and kind of became an anti-hero right but in the ultimates universe which of course is what this movie is based off of 
Uh, he was more of a traditional villain, but mm-hmm. the relationship that he has with Miles, I mean, this is pretty much one for one, although there wasn't the art aspect of it right. that they, they kind of used in the movie, which was fantastic and plays up the style in which everything worked on. Um, but that was like, again, that's like a one for one. In fact, the differences in the comics is that uh, the Prowler was working for the Green Goblin who was working on different genetic spiders, the same mm. kind of spider that mm. was the one that bit Peter because he's trying to recreate Spider-Man essentially. And one of those spiders like climbs on the Prowler's backpack and then he brings it home uh, and Miles is running away from his parents for yeah, like a day because yeah, yeah. he's trying to process. He got into, that's the other thing. The whole school situation is a big part of Miles from the comics' his background mm. because he's in, he's getting the charter school system and he, uh, when his name gets called as part of the, uh, the, um, the raffle, Mm -hmm. like you see everything, the way everything is drawn is from miles's perspective. Mm -hmm. So like you see up, you know what I mean? He's a kid. So when you're looking at the adults, you're looking up at him. And so when they actually call his name and his parents, there, they're so happy. They're like hugging him. And they're like, do you know what this means? This means you have a chance and everything else. He's looking around and seeing the, all the other kids around him that did not get it. Hmm. And he is like the confliction like in his face, the way it's drawn is phenomenal. If you've never picked up Ultimate Spider-Man yeah. volume, I want to say three, which is like his origin story, yeah. it is phenomenal. He's not Spider-Man once in like the first six issues, but it is incredible yeah, so and it's worth like checking survivor's out. Survivor's remorse. So it's interesting that they, they almost take a process with the movie where we're kind of past that and he's in the system. Funny enough, so I went to go see the movie with my daughter and my brother. And my brother is actually the um, uh, school director for a charter school in Brooklyn. Or yeah, in, uh, I met in your Harlem. brother. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. And, uh, and so he was like, he was like, huh. So it's a charter school. It's a boarding school. <laughs> it's like, right. and then I told him, I was like, it's an alternate universe. He was like, right, okay. <laughs> right, so there's, there's like some little alternate universe, wink, wink, nudge, nudge right. in this because on a very practical human level, you have Chance a Rapper with the four cap instead of the three. <laughs> and we're in Chicago, so I'm just paying attention right. to that type of right, stuff, right. right? You have Green Goblin, who's a totally different like style like of Hulk. Green Goblin. Yeah. yeah, like a whole Green Goblin. You have Steph Curry's like a professional golfer, <laughs> like on the Times Square. Like I missed that one. Yeah, so it's like little wink, wink, nudge, nudges of like, okay, this is an alternate timeline. Right. And you should know that. So let's talk about that, though, because that bothers me. Okay, talk about it. All right, so Miles Morales, like I mentioned, was introduced in an alternate universe in the comics. Miles Morales does not have to exist in an alternate universe. Right. There's no reason why that has to be the case when you're telling a Spider-Man story. I keep on waiting in in the live action Marvel films. I love this Peter Parker. This kid that's playing him right now. Tom Holland. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible Peter Parker. Great Spider-Man. I think it would be a great way to conclude his character by killing him, not in this coming movie, but in the third film. Like and killing him while he's young. To establish Miles, great. not from an alternate reality, but from this reality. You that'd know what I mean? Great. I think that'd be great. Like that needs, that th- that can happen. But there has been, over the course, since he was introduced to the comics, and in some of the cartoons and that sort of thing, and now in the movie, this notion that Miles can only be Spider-Man in an alternate dimension. Oh, that's interesting. Right? That's very interesting. That is constantly the case, and it drives me crazy crazy well i mean you because get some it of that. defeats the purpose of what essentially this film is saying well i mean you do get but you do get some of that when you have a strong attachment to a main character like a main title character yeah when you get a clark kent when you get a bruce wayne when you get a peter parker there's just a 
a sense that this is Spider-Man, sure. this is Batman, this is Superman. And almost like nothing can change that, no matter how how much it makes logical sense. It won't make sense to the mainstays who don't follow the changes yeah. and adjust. They will reject that adjustment. But see, I think it's a gambit. I think they're playing, I think they're making a calculation. I I, I don't think that calculation is necessary. I like I get that, but I feel insulted by it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like that, that just, that's the calculation that doesn't need to be made. Now there's another reason for it. And that's, that's less attached to the character and more attached to what they were really trying to accomplish with this movie, which was to establish this kind of wide range of the Spider-Man property. Because of course, Sony at that time, at this time still owns access to all of those spider characters. Right. And so by introducing a Gwen Stacy, they've just made Spider-Man more marketable than they ever had in the past, right? Hmm. Like now you have the Gwen Stacy out there. Now you <laughs> yeah. have Miles Morales. Now you have sure. Peter Parker. Now you have Spider-Pig. Look, my little yeah. one loves Spider-Man, Spider-Ham, yeah. Yeah. Spider-Ham, spider So you have, you also have Spider-Man uh, 2099. That's coming down which the road. Is, which is in, which is in the post-credit scene. Yeah. Which would have been Evo crazy. York. Yeah. That would have been crazy to incorporate him, but then but they're going that's to a wink, wink to the future. Yes. So let's talk about how it's introduced. So we we get introduced, Miles is bitten by the spider, and then there's this really interesting scene where he's climbing the walls and doing weird things and ripping Gwen's hair out and all these other, like just weird, like just a basic origin story of Spider-Man trying to figure out who you are and your powers. Calls his uncle, he's not there. Then he goes down to the same place sees that it's a genetically modified spider. But then there's a battle that's happening around him. And I just want to say, this animated Peter Parker, this animated Spider-Man. The the first one? The first one who dies yeah. was really good, bro. Yeah. Was really, I was like, ooh, yeah. this is interesting. Like, I almost wanted to see a little bit more of him. And I just was like, man, it would be really cool to have their dynamic but it made sense why it moved on. Well, and so he plays into, so so you have these two characters, right? Miles and Peter are kind of the driving story of this movie. And they're both on this journey of kind of a separate journey. What I found fascinating about Peter is I don't, I, I don't particularly like the fact that this introduced Peter Parker, my childhood hero, to this young, like new generation as kind of, a, well, not, not just to kill him, to but kill this one fat. and show like the fat <laughs> slop, right? Uh, not that I can talk, but that's kind of part of it. And so what I did really appreciate was that Peter B just stepped into a universe where it's not just another him, it is the best possible him, hmm. right? So he has to like now, like, and, and he's coming hmm. from a universe where he's been playing it really wrong. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, he's not a villain. It's not like there's an evil Peter Parker or something like that. It's just that like, he's, he's a failure. He hasn't lived up to his potential. And so he steps into a universe where literally it's not just, oh, this one did better than me. No, this is the best possible version. So let's just imagine for a second, if the multiverse were real, right? Somewhere in the multiverse, there's the best possible Tyler Burns. Hmm. Like, right? There's the best possible Bo York. And like, what if you stepped into that and saw what you could be? Like, yeah. not this person didn't have different powers than you or a different skill set. This person just applied themselves in a better way than you did. Yeah. That is a humbling experience. Right. And so it was actually from, from the fact that most of the people going to this from kind of that, they were brought up on the Peter Parker Spider-Man are now like middle-aged with kids and a little bit of a gut. Like, 
there is kind of that like call to I feel action. Attacked. <laughs> well, no, but it's it's a call. No, to action. I mean, but that's like you know, in a joking way, like because at the end he gets the opportunity to go and try to course correct, hmm. and so then it, it almost challenges you to think about what that best possible you could have been. Right. And so there was an interesting narrative there, like Miles for kind of the younger kids, Peter for a little bit of the older audience, which worked really well. Hmm. I got to get into another complaint though. Go ahead. A lot of the women, pretty much every single female character totally underused like miles's mom she had like two lines in this film yeah i didn't know get to know her at all no aunt may had some pretty cool moments but like nothing yeah that was kind of actually weird i didn't know what was happening there it's the best possible aunt may the the because i mean the thing it's the ancillary yeah, to peter is, and everything but still it's like it, it was jarring she's chilling me. out in the spider cave making tea yeah it was jarring yeah but the biggest offense i think is the fact that they intentionally marketed this movie with Gwen Stacy, spider Gwen being kind of that, you know, Trinity aspect of this. Right. And she has no character arc in this. She has literally no character arc Um, in this whatsoever. There's an arc. I think it's a lazy arc. And I think this is the inherent problem that you're getting with alternate universes, which I appreciate the complaint. And then I push back against (laughs) it. And this, and, and it's like one reason is practical. The other reason is like, theological which we'll get into oh yes but there's like there's like a sense in which the mic? They, they throw <laughs> up all of these balls to keep them in the air and you know a few are going to be dropped you right. know a few characters are going to be underutilized a few characters are going to be amazing and then but the character i think gwen spider gwen it's more about her arc of trusting people and having friends again and that's her thing which is <sighs> it felt like a very squishy arc but it's at least a line, a through line of, I get it. She needed to trust in other people again and that that opens up the possibilities of who she could be. That through others, through community, we find ourselves so we can't be isolated. That's just how Ooh. I That's just how I interpret it. No, I get that. And I mean, you can kind of see the whole, I had a friend, but he died. And like, oh, So I just okay. don't want to trust so anyone. So I don't want to trust anybody. And, and, and the, the applications are endless. Like, But I've then burned, why is I've all of betrayed. a sudden, why is all of a sudden she's like, Okay, I'll trust you now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where where was her journey? I think everyone's journey is animated. Everyone gets the faith to do what they do at the end of the film because Miles takes the leap. And that's another... So he's the inspiration. He's the inspiration yeah. because he comes in okay. and he leaps... But not only does he leap, he leaps into his best self. Yes, 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 he yes. He leaps into an incredible, insane gifting. And people saw him fail, and then they saw him rise above the oh, failure. Oh, my gosh, yes. And so then because of that, they're like, oh, no, I can get behind that. And then he starts teaching everyone else, like, oh, no, you, we can be friends and, uh, you know, get out of it. You know, like that, right, the, you right, know, right, right. with Peter B. Parker, that whole idea. So but All the more reason why, me. like, so that's the thing, right? The Miles story was done so well. We didn't need the multiverse aspect because yeah. I think because because the Miles story is done so well, it robs from some of the multiverse story, which I'm not saying like we need more multiverse story. I'm saying that multiverse story was unnecessary. But since we have it, now we're doing a disservice to these other characters that are existing. Sure. Gwen just felt like, like, oh, you know, he's got a crush on her. And so she's here to have a crush. She was, of all the Spider-Men, Peter B., arguably Peter B., well... She's at her prime, yeah, right? She, she like had she's it at her peak. She had her stuff she's together. been Spider-Man longest or Spider. She didn't need no help. Yeah. But what we recognize is that 
she was able to find a family and a tribe and she was able to find her people and that every superhero needs their people. Every superhero thinks they can do it alone and they can't. Yeah. That eventually you're going to have to find people that you trust in. All right. That's just how she was that's, underutilized. And I think you're right. I'm just saying that's how I, I perceived it and that's how I justified it. Now, I want to talk a little bit before we get into the specifics of the heroes. I want to talk about the villains. We have Kingpin. We have Prowler. We have Doc Ock. We have Green that Goblin. That was incredible. Wasn't that incredible? Dude, I did not see that coming. I was like, didn't Whoa. see it coming at all. That was fantastic. Like, why won't this is what movies need to do every single time? Surprise us like that. Yeah, that was I incredible. Surprises. I loved it. Now, I, I really appreciated Mahershala Ali's performance as Prowler. Yeah. And I feel as though hey. he went through a, <laughs> he, went through, <laughs> he went through a a deep soul searching experience, and you felt for him as a man who mm. had so much potential, but at some way, some way, shape, or form, it's the juxtaposition. Exactly. Yes. But he propelled, and but that's how I felt about Peter Parker. In a sense, was when Peter dies, for him to give that responsibility to Miles immediately. Hmm. I was like, "Ooh, I like you." Like he's like, "Oh, I know I'm gonna die." Yeah. And there's nothing I can do. Let me put this in the hands of someone faithful that can do also, right? Man. Like and that can go and do. And I'm just gonna put faith in him that kid, you got it. Like just go. Yeah. But I'm going to die. So again, saw it with a five-year-old, right? Yeah. Walked out and my daughter asked, she's like, me and my brother were in the car. My daughter asked, she's like, so, so was he a bad guy? Like, was his uncle a bad guy or a good right. guy? Because there's a lot of, when you're young like that and you're yeah. constructing even just the notion of kind of gray characters, but on top of that, a family member. Like, so she's trying to process all this. And so my brother, like, she's like, you know, he was a good guy that made some really bad decisions. Hmm. Yeah. And to try to frame it up for her like that, which she seemed to accept and kind of walk with. Can, can I can I give you a theory here? Yeah, please do. I feel that Mahershala Ali Prowler in this film was symbolic of black men who are used for their prowess mm. by white establishment. Mm. And that, see, because if you think about it, he didn't do what kingpin told him to do and then he became immediately expendable and was shot and killed in a very public execution right 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 and it was prowler he was doubted like his prowess was doubted oh if i need to get somebody else in on it i can as if he couldn't handle it right there was this subtle like subtext he wasn't treating any of the other villains like that but it was this subtle, it, it was a little bit Doc Ock. He did treat Doc Ock like that. Uh, a sense of doubt. After after she lost the laptop or the hard drive, sure. there was a sense of doubt. But with Prowler, there was, this, there was this other sense that I read it again as a black man watching. Oh, he's gifted and you hired him to do something. and But he has to be twice as good as everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> he can't make no mistakes. Yeah. And if he makes a mistake, you're going to kill him publicly. Like you're not even going to wait. You're just going to shoot him. And it's like, you could have shot the, the boy. You could have shot someone else. You just shoot Prowler because black men are expendable. <laughs> like, that was just my perception. I was yeah. sitting back. I was like, whoa, this is crazy how he's on a really short leash with, with Kingpin. Mm-hmm. Now, the Kingpin character. What did you think about that? Like the way that he was I wasn't done. enthusiastic about Kingpin. Yeah. I wasn't mad at Kingpin. In terms of style or in terms of like his, his style? Story? I didn't like the style. The story felt right. This, all right. So the story definitely felt right. It's 
he didn't do anything. Like I feel like he didn't do anything. I feel like he was obsessed. And then when you when you throw in the family element, I think studios and writers sometimes use family as a lazy device to imply obsession. That whenever you introduce family, it's like, oh, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but he's he's a he's a human being. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what's going on here? And I understand he's a super villain. He's super evil. Kingpin has always been just super evil. Absolutely. And w- without a doubt, without a doubt. Like we he's, saw that he's in the literally like two. kidnapping a family from another version of himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's so much to unpack in what he's trying to attempt to do. Especially when you see the various versions of his family that pop mm-hmm. up in that subway Isn't car. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That was like, whoa, and none of them want him, you know? So it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I felt like he didn't do anything and I felt like there wasn't any really real range. It was just... He played the villain to be the villain. All right, so kids movie. So to some sure. extent, that has to happen. I mean, like, well, is this a kids movie? This is an uh, animated film. I don't know if this is a kids movie. It's got Spider Ham in it. Uh, Bro, I, I love I love Peter Parker. I, <laughs> spins a web. That's the gig. Kind of weird because he's a pig. Hey, but there. yo, him eating hot dogs at the end of that joint was uh, weird. I just like, washed I my like, hands. That's why they're wet. Yeah, that's. <laughs> cannibalistic he out here eating <laughs> eating hot dogs <laughs> the thing is about i think all the villains except for prowler is they were done in such an over-the-top way i think to visually communicate yeah. kind of this monstrous separation hmm. right like we're gonna s- we're gonna see kids beating up like adults right <laughs> like right, this right. there's there's an aspect of i think that they have to have kind of that mindset going in it the weird thing to me about it the style was a little off-putting. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who absolutely love what they did and that, that approach to Kingpin. It put me off a little bit, especially coming off of the season three of Daredevil, yes. which is arguably the best Kingpin story that I've ever experienced. Yes, it is. Like it, it is, it's, it's phenomenal. And it is such a different Kingpin in what he's doing. Like, even like you want to see this kid, it's going to be amazing. Like you, I don't know. That's so right. different. You know like, what I mean? Ooh. Like, doesn't quite fit. It was, but I think in the shadow of Daredevil season three, we have to be honest. Yeah, that's clouding what we think about. There's Kingpin. no, there's no way, there's no way to live like that. That's it. That was like the pinnacle, I think, of of what Kingpin is, has been, and probably will ever be. Now that let's fantastic. talk about the different alternate Spider Man, like and the Spider People. I don't know what's the correct term to, to use. Spider People, I think is good. Yeah, Spider People. So we have Peter B. Parker, right? And this is the Peter Parker failure, right? We have. Um, Peter Porker, Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham. Then we have Spider-Gwen. Spider-Gwen. We have Spider-Man Noir, who was Nicholas in, Cage. Who was incredible. This is a pretty hardcore action origin story. Who was incredible. <laughs> he said, sometimes I light a match and let it get down to my fingers just so I can feel something. <laughs> just say that. I, was, I, I laughed yes. so loud in the theater the first time. <laughs> it was barely anyone in there. It was like a midnight showing. Right. And I laughed so loud. I was like, yo, they're going to escort me out of here. Like, Wherever I go, the wind follows. And it smells like rain. It was so good. And then there's one more, Penny Parker. Penny Parker. Okay. Yes. Now, Penny Parker was really good. I really liked her yeah. kind of character incorporating the technology. So they, they, they start the device early on with Peter Parker basically telling the story. Right. Telling their origin story in a Cliff Notes version. Got a little tedious. But I went with it because when they did the three all together, it was kind of fun. Right, right, right. But, you know, who was the best of the alternate characters other than Miles? Who was the best of the alternate characters? Which I of mean, the alternate characters was most memorable for you? 
Okay, so well, all right. For me personally, in terms of member, so seeing Spider Gwen. So I got two daughters. Yeah. And so seeing Spider Gwen and like catch like picking up on little things. I mean, I'm familiar-ish with the character going into the film, but like the fact that she's like incorporated ballet slippers as part of her costume and and like immediately seeing her mm. and connecting her with like bro that's good you know i did not catch that <laughs> the funny thing is i didn't catch that either until my daughter pointed that out Ooh. to me she's like she's a ballerina i was like what and she's like her shoes and i was like look at that whoa that's incredible so like that's so good, man. her her story and kind of seeing that and like instantly like watching like her tell her origin story and watching my daughter watch that. So there was kind of a, you know, there's, there's a special moment there beyond that. I mean, man, spider ham, he's, he's the MVP. <laughs> Got that. Spider ham was great. Yeah. Um, but I just, I love Spider-Man noir. Like I love the way in which they incorporated the Rubik's cube was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Where he's like, he's like, is this it? <laughs> you know, like he's trying to figure out the different colors because he's just in black, and white, black and white and kind of this brooding emo sense. Like, I just, I love that. And I think just that throwback character, Peter B. Parker was good for me. I didn't necessarily connect as much with mm-hmm. his character. I think he started the story with his interaction with miles being a little whiny and so it just was kind of like <laughs> right. he, he eventually morphed into like a discipler, like someone who mentored Miles and really pushed him in ways. But you saw what he was capable of. And I love this scene in the scene where he, where he basically grabs him in his dorm room. And that's like the pivotal scene, right? Right. He just lost his uncle. Peter B. like basically says, we're going to sit you, sit you down. And Miles like, no, I can do this. I can do this. And then he basically reveals like Spider-Man's dead because of me, you know, and I'm not going to have that on my conscience. And they're like, we're not going to have you dying on our conscience. Grabs him, says, get out of it. He can't do it. And then to see the spider people on the outside listening to the effort and listening to because they all have been there Mm -hmm. in the moment of it's the empathetic moment of it's not your time yet. You're not ready yet. Right. And to see Peter B. Parker turn into that was a powerful arc. And then to see him like confront Mary Jane, like and see Mary Jane in this timeline and be like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I I can't, you know, (laughs) goo goo gaga, like that type of thing. It was so powerful. But right after that scene where he's like, get out of it, we have Jeff Jeff Davis and Miles, the talk between the door. His father speaks to him and there was a rawness. Mm, mm -hmm. There was a vulnerability. There was a transparency there was an emotion in his voice that there's such a healthy picture of fatherhood here. It's one of the best acted scenes in the thing, like voice acting. It's one of the best acted scenes of the year. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's there's something deep down on the inside of me as a father hmm. that is observing this and saying, can I be playful and protective and uh, you know guide and encourage and vulnerable and weak and confused and emotive with my children. Mm. And will my children see my range or will they only see me as the brooding protector who goes out and works hard for the family and then comes home late at night or comes home and plays and sits down and talks for an hour and helps you with homework and then says, all right, time to go to bed. But Miles knew his father loved him because he showed him the range. Mm. Mm. The fullness he showed, Man. like I'm gonna be fully embodied with my son. 
And can I be fully embodied with my kids? And that's the challenge. And, and to see that model so well to where he just lost his brother. Like he just lost his brother to Spider-Man. Yeah. And he's going to come and he's going to share that emotion. He's going to transfer. The, and men, what typically happens, like we, we well that up. We're like, hey, call me. Some, some bad happened. Like, I need to talk to you right now. He didn't even press him. He, he, he was honest. He removed the veil. It's like showed him his heart mm. and put his heart out there in the moment when most men seal up. I was like, man, this, this whole arc of fatherhood, like parenting, being a son, family, and, and for it to be black family, for it to be black fatherhood. For it to be in that space, it just, it really did something to me watching it a second time. The first time I was like, this is powerful, but I didn't really get it. And now I'm like, okay, I got a second kid on the way. Like, yo, (laughs) I get it now. And it's getting real. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, okay, well, now I see this as I watch Jeff really intently and say, can I be that vulnerable and open with my my Mm. kids? That's good. You know? So you said there was a theological aspect to this movie? So, no. I mean, here's here's my thought process is... I don't think, theologically speaking, the multiverse exists, but I like no. to think... <laughs> well, you never know. I don't know what no. the theological implications are there. Here's, here's my thought process. I like the multiverse angle because it showed a theology of abundance, that there is enough space for all of us to flourish, and that when we all participate there's this and it's weird because it's from a minority experience it's from a minority perspective and from a minority christian perspective what typically happens is there is one exceptional i I just speak for me there's one exceptional black negro in each space and there's one exceptional black man or one exceptional black woman in each space who rises above the rest and kind of takes the speaking engagements and the resources Mm. because the idea is there can only be one. It's a Highlander concept. There can only be one. And if there's another, then we start to look and say, well, if I put this person on or if I bring this person on the podcast or if I bring this person onto the team or if I bring, if I recommend this person to my friend or if I share their material, someone may like them more than they like me. And then I'll lose the opportunities because we feel like there's scarcity the crabs in the bucket. Exactly. Yeah. But but even beyond that, like we feel like there's just scarce opportunities for how people perceive us. And so it's this survival mechanism where it's just self-preservation. And instead of thinking about the community and the communal aspect of we all win. When one win, we all one wins, we all win. And we should build our own table so each person can eat as much as they want. Mm. We don't have that mentality. And instead, we have this mentality of we reflexively respond to white supremacy and we say, it can only be one that gets to shine, only be one that gets the opportunity. And this shows like a, this, a subtle theology of abundance that every person is needed and they can come and be in the same space and the space that they're in and the space that they occupy. There's room. There's enough villains for each one of y'all. We need. We actually need every <laughs> right. one of you guys right. to deal with the villains. Yeah. Like when they were getting ready to take on Doc Ock, all three of them, and then she gets hit by the bus, which is hilarious. And they're like, ooh, it's like, you think about it, it takes all three of them to handle her right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's not a, I, I can't be the, the solo hero here. I don't have enough. I can't do it. 
I'm not good enough. I need everybody. And that was like, oh, that's really cool. It's a theology of abundance. Like (laughs) everybody gets their shine. Everybody gets fulfilled. Everybody has a job. We can all eat. We can all celebrate together. And then we go back to our spaces. And I was like, man, that's crazy. But that's like, you know, me in my little pocket. No, I like that, man. I like pulling that out there. You know, but I'm, you know, I'm not, everybody's not going to get that. But that was just me when I interpreted it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. But yeah. Look, I think the, there's one last thing I think we'd be remiss without acknowledging in this movie. And it's, it is, I, I've already tested listen. it. It makes me cry every single time. Listen. When Stan Lee hands him the mask and says, everybody grows into it eventually. Right. That was so powerful. And I mean, they, they do a little joke on it. So it doesn't like make you cry too much. So you get back yeah. to it. But there's so much in that. Well, I mean, it's crazy that he died like before that. Like that's just it's nuts. The first were, time and I that's, watched, and it. that was him. He recorded that. I, it, it's not the last. Uh, it, it was not the last thing he recorded before he died. But he it did is Far From of, Home, right? If uh, I don't know if he did Far From Home, but I think he's an Endgame. Okay. I could be wrong on that. There is something in that welled up in me. I was like, oh man, but but his connection to the character and how close he was. Yeah to the Spider-Man character and how important that was to him and his legacy. And then to see like his legacy continue and, and go to heights that was just like, Oh, now it's universally accepted. These different spider people. Yeah. It was a powerful scene. And, and you know, it's only eclipsed in my mind by the leap of faith, which is a scene that dazzles is a scene that takes film and animation to a place I had never been before. What's up, Danger? Yeah, that look, that that leap is incredible. The way that it's shot is incredible. The entire film's incredible, man. It is. Where does this rank among Spider-Man films? I I can't emotionally answer that question. It's it's high up there. Like for yeah. again for me, Spider-Man 2 would just hit me at a time in my life when I cannot even critic like critically look at that movie appropriately. Right. But taking that one out, I'd say this is in that like Top two, top. Well, two. I mean, for me, Spider Man was that film. So Spider Man was a film that hit me. It was the my first sixth Spider-Man. or seventh grade year. Yeah, and it just it hit me, and that was a film that I'm like, I can't be objective about. Yeah, because I just remember where I was. I remember what I was wearing when I went to see it. It was my first. It was my introduction into Spider Man, outside of like the cartoon and the yeah. animated series or what happened. So where's this one right for you? Man, it's to me, it's like one A. <laughs> behind like Spider-Man 2. Hey, you know but what? But it's like it's like really a tie for number 1 between Spider-Man 2 and this because I feel like those two films are just near perfect in the themes and everything. So yeah. I just, you know, that's just where I stand with that. Well, look, man, it's a multiverse, so I mean, he can be the first in a lot of different universes. But the reality is is that one of the trade-offs to us yeah. being uh, uh, interacting from our various corners of the multiverse is that I feel the universe just creeping in on us right now. Like I know we have. We're to starting go back. to glitch out. We got it. We got to go back to what we're doing. But Dude, this uh, was fun, man. We need to do this again. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll All do right, it man. again for Endgame. How's that? Oh, most definitely. We'll be doing that anyway for Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. Oh. So what's happening? <laughs> a lot of good stuff happening right now. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see you guys next time on Pass the Mic. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs>